You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. In many ways, it's very similar to computer network, just for physical objects. That's Ben Siri. He's VP of Research at Armis. Today, we're discussing their research on remote code execution vulnerabilities in SwissLog's pneumatic tube system. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. You have stations which are the endpoints of the state system where you where staff at the hospital can uh, send and receive carriers. Uh, and these stations are connected with the tubes and there are routers, and they're called transfer units or diverters in the, in the terminology of pneumatic tubes. Uh, and these literally shift carriers within the uh, various uh, in, uh, intersections of tubes. And then you have blowers. These are uh, what maintains the air pressure within the system, and they can pull or push the air depending on the direction of the carrier. So this is a really, in many ways, um, a network of physical that transports physical objects similarly in, in ways to how packets are um, passing through an IP network. You know, I can't help but to be reminded of, uh, you know, years ago, there was people were making jokes about comparing the internet to a series of tubes. And, and here we have an actual series of tubes, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a series of pipes. Right. Uh, there is also in, in computers... Um, Pipes are um, 
a way to, to uh, within a Linux system, for example, pipes are a way to transfer data between um, processes. And here, literal, literal top pipes are used to transfer physical objects. Well, help us understand what, what's going on to control all of this. I mean, there, obviously, there's, there's, there's routing. You've got to get things from point A to point B. For the folks who are using this system, what, what's going on under the hood? Yeah, so maybe unlike the IP network, uh, in this case, this has to be orchestrated very carefully by a central management server. When you want to, tra- to do a transaction of a carrier through the tubes, you first have to align all of these diverters um, to the correct path of, of the tubes. So you would create a link between uh, a source and destination station. Then you would need to turn on the blower and uh, have the air pressure set to the correct uh, speed. There is a feature within these systems that they, you can control how fast you send a carrier within the tubes. And this is important in healthcare specifically because certain items like blood products they can be damaged if they are sent too fast within the tubes. So there, you can control. You have a slow transfers, and then you can have, you can have urgent transfers for stuff that you need to, to be delivered really quickly. So um, when, you ha- when you set up the tubes with the diverters, when you turn on the blowers, eventually the station's door opens, and then the staff can put in the carrier, and then it will be whisked off within the tubes. It's a system in which you have one transaction at a time per what is called a zone. And a zone is a, section, a part of the hospital where the tubes interconnect in a way that you can only transfer one carrier at a time. But then you can have multiple zones and they will interconnect with inter-zone diverters. So that's a way to make more transactions occur at a time. But yeah, essentially it's this complex network of analog components that have needs to be synchronized uh, to to be to to allow transactions to take place, and to what degree is this automated? And are there, you know, are there humans keeping an eye on things, or does it pretty much run itself? It pretty much runs runs itself. I would imagine that back in the day, maybe when you were a child in the department store, um, right. it, it would have, would have much more uh, analog. Uh, and manual um, management, like like elevators had in the in, back in the day, right? Mm. Um, so, and there would be an operator. So, I saw an image, for example, that you see this this type of system was installed in um, offices where it was used uh, as inter uh, office messaging, and then in large hosp- in large offices where you had I don't know uh, hundreds of these uh, stations or a- endpoints where you can load carriers. You would have a physical operator, and you'd put in the carrier. It would be sent to the operator, and with a destination written on it or something of that nature. And then the operator would send it to the next to to the to its destination. So very much like how telecommunications, how phones worked earlier on. Mm. But yeah, but that's back in the day. Today, everything is managed automatically. It does everything. The central management server does all the coordination. Automatically, there are some maintenance uh, to be done. Some maintenance um, issues can occur. Swisslog, specifically, the company, the vendor that we found uh, vulnerabilities in its product, uh, does offer um, a service for hospitals in which he manages and monitors their central management server remotely from the internet, uh, which is probably uh, a good feature to have. To not so you don't need someone physically monitoring it at each hospital. 
But mm. it also creates an attack surface, right? Because the central management server now needs to be connected to the internet. The internet is an obvious attack surface. And also that connectivity to the monitoring solution by SwissLog, uh, if it's found vulnerable in the, in the future, then that can be an entry for attackers to take over the uh, PTS network from the internet. Well, and this leads us to the research that you and your colleagues have published here, where uh, you all have discovered some vulnerabilities in this systems. Um, how did this first come to your attention? Um, so from time to time, we do proactive research. My team has all kinds of tasks within Armis, but part of it is really looking at our customers' uh, environments, understanding what are the most common and most critical uh, types of devices that they use, and uh, doing research on it and trying to find vulnerabilities. And so uh, in our healthcare uh, customers, um, I noticed the fact that all of them use this pneumatic tube system, which I was not aware of before that existed. And for me, it was you know, a blow from the past to, to see something <laughs> like that actually in use. And, uh, and it was just very popular. So the Swiss log system is used in over 80% of hospitals in North America. It's installed in over 3,000 hospitals worldwide. Uh, every major hospital needs to have a pneumatic tube system, and Swisslog is the uh, the leading vendor in North America for this types of solutions. So it, it was apparent to, to us that this was very popular on one hand, but on the other hand, it's very not known. It's it's little known to to the general public, um, and they probably haven't received any research um, efforts uh, because of that, because it's just uh, hidden in, within the walls in hospitals, and people don't think about it. Right. Well, take us through what you discovered here. What exactly is the vulnerability? Um, so it's nine vulnerabilities, uh, and they are critical in nature because they can allow takeover of the stations within this network. The current models of um, SwissLog TransLogic PTS stations are all based on a board called the Nexus Control Panel, and this control panel run, runs Linux, and it is the brains of, of all the current uh, station models by SwissLog. And so by having an access to the hospital's network where these are installed and th- these are IP connected, an attacker can take over them with various different vulnerabilities that we found. So there is a, a tenant server open on this uh, device, unfortunately, that wasn't supposed to be left open in production. It has hard-coded password that we are able to find these can be used to log into the device and take over it. There is also a privilege escalation vulnerability that can allow root access. So that's one bunch of vulnerabilities. Then there are a couple of memory corruption vulnerabilities. And these are in the protocol that manages uh, these stations, the protocol that the central server, server has with all of these stations. And they can also reach a remote code execution. Uh, there is also denial of service, service vulnerability we found. And lastly, and a very serious design flaw in which the firmware upgrade process of these devices is completely not secure. So the firmware is not signed, it's not encrypted, and there isn't any authentication needed to trigger the firmware upgrade process. So all of these different vulnerabilities can allow attackers to compromise the Nexus control panel, which powers all current models of the pneumatic tube stations. <laughs> and that's it, it only requires access to the network, which is something that the attacker would need to have to trigger the attack, but it does not require authentication. It doesn't doesn't require any user interaction. It's a remote attack in various ways. Have, have what has the response been of SwissLog? Have you reached out to them? 
We have, yeah. So we've been in contact with them uh, since uh, the beginning of May. Uh, it took some time for them to understand that this was a serious issue and that they need to handle it. Uh, this is the first disclosure that they are experiencing. They are a very serious company and they have a very advanced tech, but they come from an era which uh, is an analog um, era in many ways. And so they, the security was may maybe not completely part of the design of these systems, uh, but they have gone through the path of understanding the vulnerabilities better developing a patch. Uh, they have released a patch um, on Monday, when, uh, so on, on August 2nd, when this, this disclosure became public, uh, and a security advisory in, in which they offer various mitigations. And Armis has also published a security advisory detailing how this uh, can be blocked by various tools and how um, to mitigate the risk in the best way possible. Um, so this is very important looking forward what we found maybe is now uh, receiving a patch that would, be, would fix the specific issues, but we believe that the systems now being um, researched in a more right away, other issues would be found in them, and it's important to harden the access to them as much as possible. And, and what are the potential issues here? What are the dangers of a system like this uh, being um, taken advantage of? Yeah, so, so first, I think it's important to understand how critical it is within the hospital. So what is its actual tasks? And it, it starts from the fact that testing within a hospital, lab tests, there are this daily motion that the hospital needs to do on a regular basis all the time. Um, so to automate, automate this process, uh, all of the departments, all of the nursing stations have these stations and uh, lab samples, various specimens uh, that are taken from patients are sent through the tubes to central laboratory where it is tested quickly and then uh, the patient care is continued based on that test. Uh, so that's one use case which is very, very common. There are other uses of the PTS network within hospitals. Uh, pharmacies within hospitals uh, usually connect to the, net, to the PTS network where they distribute medicine to all of the departments using this network. The blood bank in the hospital might be connected to this network, so blood units can be sent to operation rooms from the blood bank. And so there are various applications in which this is used, and again, critical items such as blood units and various specimens are shipped within the network. So just understanding the fact that this is a critical infrastructure, and if it were to be shut down unexpectedly, this would result in some, some effect on patient care in a way, just because hospitals are this chaotic scene by nature, and adding more chaos to that scene is something that, that can harm patient care eventually. So it's, this is why, why again, um, any attack on the system can have consequences just by the fact that this system is so delicate and uh, so critical to, to the operations of the hospital. Uh, but then there are also other elements of why an attack on this network could be um, meaningful for an attacker. So uh, this, the PTS solution by SwissLog, it integrates with other hospital infrastructures. And that can uh, hold some uh, insensitive data within these integrations. For, so, for example, the access control system of the hospital the, that manages physical access to doors uh, by authenticating an RFID card that the nurses and the, and the doctors have. This system is usually integrated with the TransLogic PTS uh, solution to allow uh, the staff to be authenticated with the PTS stations. So only uh, the staff can use 
the pneumatic tube system and not to buy some patient or anybody else walking through the corridors. Um, and that type of integration exposes the RFID credentials of the staff, staff records, uh, stuff like that, to any attacker that takes over the system because those inf- these, in- these data, this sensitive data passes through the system. So all kinds of attacks are possible on this, on this system. One would be an information leak. Another would be shutting it down, which would be harmful for a hospital. And maybe the third most sophisticated type of attack, it is not likely to occur by a simple attacker. It would require a more sophisticated attacker. But it is possible to abuse this system in a way that derails hospitals' operation until they understand that the network has been compromised. So just doing a man-in-the-middle attack on the system in which you change the past of the carriers of an attacker um, sitting on the stations, compromising the stations can, can intervene with the correct path that the carrier should go through, and that would uh, you know, create more chaos in the hospital. He can change the speeds in which the carriers travel through the tubes. And as I mentioned, some, some items are sensitive to, that, to the speed which they travel, so that can damage their content. And all of that might be used by a very sophisticated attacker to sort of a ransomware attack. So just holding the network of the tubes hostage until a payout is made. So it's not something that we usually connect to a ransomware attack. We know that ransomware attacks are, are uh, normally connected to, end, to PC endpoints and their files being encrypted. But essentially ransomware is just this, the use of something sensitive being taken hostage. And the network itself, the metric tube network, can also be taken hostage. As I mentioned, one of the vulnerabilities we found is the fact that the firmware upgrade process of this device is very much not secure. So an attacker is able to can maintain persistence on these devices. So once he, he's done that, it will be very hard to get rid of him if he demands you know, a certain payout for, for that to, to stop his attack. So is the message here, I mean, if, I suppose there are plenty of people in our audience who uh, have customers, colleagues, and, and so forth in, in the cybersecurity realm who are either working with hospitals or hospital-adjacent or suppliers of hospitals. I, I suppose a big part of this is just spreading the word that this vulnerability exists and, and that there are mitigations in place that uh, people should take a serious look at. Yeah, I agree. And I think that... Um, so. We, we also have um, healthcare customers, and when we brought this news to them, it was also apparent that they, too, were not completely aware to the fact that this system is in, in using their hospitals, and that is that's so critical. So if it's just something that is hidden within the walls, it works, you don't think about it, you don't pay any attention to it, and so security aspects of it are also not in front of you or not, not uh, something that you are... Uh, thinking about. Uh, so it's a twofold process. First, uh, raising the awareness of the fact that these systems exist, they're important, they're critical, and second, that they are vulnerable, uh, and there are ways to mitigate risks around them and to better protect them. I think just, just in a more uh, broader term, it's important to uh, understand when you think about healthcare security that it starts from the medical devices, right? The life support systems, infusion pumps, the stuff that are directly connected and are providing their function to the patients, these, these devices' security is very important, obviously. But then 
you should look at the hospital in a more holistic way and understand that there are other systems involved in providing the patient care. Uh, maybe they're not categorized as medical devices. Maybe there are uh, these transport systems of, uh, with pneumatic tube systems. Maybe there are the electricity of the hospital, uh, water irrigation systems, the elevators. But there are all of these systems that interconnect and, uh, and are eventually uh, what uh, allows the hospital to provide its patient care and provide the, the best um, service that it can. So as a security community and, and for the healthcare space, looking at their attack surface in a more broader way, I think this is a good way moving forward. Our thanks to Ben Seri from Armis. The research covers remote code execution vulnerabilities in the pneumatic tube system of SwissLog. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Trey Hester, Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.